The CBF podcast is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Study online or on campus and learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. Hey, podcast listeners, this is your host, Andy Hale. We are thrilled to bring you another year of CBF's podcast with a cavalcade of brilliant guests such as Father Tom Reese, Washington Post's Sarah Pulliam Bailey, Mark Charles, Soong Chen Ra, and Matthew Paul Turner. And that's just skimming the surface of the first few months. As you know, last fall, we launched the Podcast Listener Support Project. This is an opportunity for you to connect closer with the podcast and premier guest. By becoming a podcast supporter, you can join me on an interview with premier guests such as Walter Brueggemann, Sarah Bessie, and Brian McLaren. So check out cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. This week's CBF Podcast Conversation is brought to you by Equal Exchange. Equal Exchange is a 33-year-old fair trade organization that works with small-scale farmers in 20 countries to bring you organic coffee, tea, chocolate, cocoa, and nuts. Serve high-quality coffee during fellowship that matches your congregation's values with prices starting at $0.10 a cup. Fundraising with fairly traded products at an Easter or Christmas event. Equal Exchange also offers a line of products from Palestinian farmers in the West Bank, including organic olive oil, moftul, frika, and dates. For more information, visit equalexchange.coop backslash interfaith. That's equalexchange.coop backslash interfaith. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Dr. Ryan Noel Fraser. Dr. Fraser directs the Master's in Pastoral Care and Counseling Program at uh, Freed Hardman University. He has a new book out, Overcoming the Blues. Ryan, thank you for joining the conversation. Andy, it's great to be with you. I, I feel honored to be uh, with you today. This is great. 
Now, it's very clear from your accent that you are from middle of, of Tennessee. So I wonder if you might walk us a bit uh, into your story. Yes, I um, actually was raised on the mission field in, in Cape Town, South Africa. I was born in the States, but my, my parents are actually natives from um, South Africa. We go back to the 1600s there in that country. And uh, my folks were here in the States. Dad was uh, studying to be a minister when I was born. and But I was pretty much raised over there until uh, graduating from, from high school. and. Um, Ended up coming back to his alma mater, and uh, years later, I'm back here teaching at the school. So it's kind of a an interesting uh, story. Now, as you know, as far as uh, pastoral care and counseling, how did you get into that field? I tried to avoid it as long as I could. Honestly, coming uh, as my early preparation to to be a minister, um, though I, I didn't do any undergrad studies or any degree in psychology or such like i just kept on being drawn uh, to the to that field and i realized um, later on when i when i was doing youth ministry and then uh, pulpit ministry that um, the need is is just so immense in the church for capable uh, pastoral caregivers pastoral counselors and um, after getting an MDiv, I decided to to go the practical theology route, and so that I could not only uh, provide better direct care myself to, to members of the, the church, but also eventually help to to train the, the next generation of ministers and uh, pastors, you know, for for works of service. And um, I think just it, it was very need need driven. And um, as we look at at the church today, and and just um, so many mental health issues that that people of all walks of life are struggling with, again the the need is immense. You know, to um, to have capable, qualified people uh, within the, within the the ranks of the church to be able to to provide competent uh, service, and so. So it's an honor to, to be able to teach, you know, in that, that field. And also I'm a, a practitioner, I'm a licensed clinical pastoral therapist in the state of Tennessee. And so um, have the, the honor of, of doing both, both uh, provi- providing care and then also um, training uh, people, men and women, to be able to, to be more effective as uh, pastoral counselors and caregivers. No, I, I love my alma mater. Um but I often felt like um, the church I was trained to lead was the church of the 1990s and early 2000s. And um, mm-hmm. there was aspects of my seminary training that felt like prepared, prepared me for adaptive leadership. So, you know, how, how are y'all today uh, prepared ministers for pastoral care and counseling? You know, for, for I guess 2020 is upon us, um, but for, for the many years to come and how the landscape of ministry and church is changing so much. We're still uh, behind the, the curve, I guess, with that. And our our masters here at Frieda Hardeman has actually only been in existence for three years, the, the one in pastoral care and counseling. 
And we've had a clinical mental health counseling program here, uh, kind of an MS degree for uh, probably about 25 years or more. But um, I think we're playing some catch up and uh, especially with the landscape, um, socioculturally and with some of the um, conversations that are beginning to emerge in um, within churches of all different flavors and persuasions, I, I think um, topics such as depression, uh, anxiety, addiction are becoming, are starting to become a little bit more um, uh, prominent and I think available to to people. Um, some of the, though I think some of the stigma is still there, it's a, um, we're taking some steps in the right direction. And as, as I'm traveling around the country with my book tour and been speaking in lots of different cities, um, I, I'm seeing in the, there's a hunger, I think, among um, church leaders, as well as um, among the, the members of congregations for, for some biblically based, um, but psychologically sound uh, uh, options and strategies, especially to help people of faith that often in the past, you know, back, like you said, in, in the 90s, 80s, even the early 2000s, you know, have uh, been suffering in silence and uh, a lot of shame around mental health issues. Uh, but um, just over the course of the last couple of years, we've seen, seen some very public uh, figures, uh, I mean, in um, ministry settings, you know, as well as in um, entertainment uh, figures that have, have either committed suicide or have, have come step forward. We've got the Me Too campaign that's out there. So um, it's it's becoming, I think, more acceptable, though there's still a hesitancy. And, and there's still places that are unwilling for me to come and speak because I think they, the leadership is scared of the topic or feels that it's um, we don't want to scare the you know kind of blow up the illusion of um, uh, that the church has got it all together and to realize you know I, I think there's there's still a hesitancy of opening up a can of worms in churches and uh, discovering that hey we don't have it all together and we need to be open and honest about this conversation. Well, certainly a good segue for us to to begin to talk about um, the book you released this fall, Overcoming the Blues, Finding Christ-Centered Hope and Joy Through Serving Others. Uh, this book is about mental health, specifically depression. And a recent study found that approximately 17.3 million American adults are affected by depressive disorder. You were, uh, I've also observed that believers living with depression often feel guilty for their dispiritedness. They assume personal responsibility as if they've brought this struggle upon themselves. They're highly self-judgmental and hypercritical as if they are somehow spiritually in a deficit. Let's start right there. Um, this book mm -hmm. is for people facing depression. Uh, why did you write this book now? <laughs> well, one thing, I don't think the market was ready for it a few years ago. Um, there was still a hesitancy for it. Though the topic, of course, has been been on my mind, and, and many other, I think, ministers and pastoral caregivers and counselors' uh, minds for a while, but for me, uh, there was a confluence of um, the need 
Um, also, just the culture, especially church culture, being a little bit more open to this this type of topic. And um, and two, you know, just within my own uh, clinical practice, um, working with church leaders, ministers, missionaries, you know, that are suffering, you know, and, and needing needing help and um, and recognizing that there are others you know, within their own sphere of influence that need um, biblically, spiritually nuanced um, uh, resources. And so that need was there. And then also just, you know, beyond um, just the uh, more abstract or um, observation of, of the church and, and people in general within my own family, um, we have uh, dealt with depression directly. Um, in my book, it, it's very, uh, we're very transparent about my wife's struggle with um, major depressive disorder. And um, I've, I've along the way had bouts of, of the blues, but not to the extent that, that she has dealt with it. And so there's a, a transparency and a rawness in you know, what we've, we've uh, what we've written or or exposed on this and um, people um, are readers as well as uh, when I'm speaking in, in different places uh, people are just resonating with the message um, in a in a powerful way um, and, and feeling like hey we can break the silence and we can we can talk about this and it is possible to to be a faithful man or woman of God while still struggling emotionally because it puts us in good company with men and women in scripture that were faithful, but um, also suffered uh, with their emotionality at times. So, um, so yeah, that, that confluence of, of my, you know, my work as a, as a minister and counselor, as a husband, and then I'm also as an educator um, and seeing, seeing the need just being so, um, so big and, there are lots of works out there under pressure, but they only come from a, a more secular uh, perspective, and and don't and often don't uh, aren't written at a popular level where people can can connect to and, and see themselves in the story, and uh, find find hope and meaning and purpose and also some viable strategies on how to not to necessarily to get over it, but to work through it and, and live with it um, as as a faithful person. It's certainly remarkable to be so transparent, um, you know, to use your personal and familial story as um, kind of a narrative behind this book. I, you know, I wonder how has how has this more transparent uh, way of writing, um, how is that connected with your audience? Well, it, it connects because... Um, Though they see me as an educated person and I've got the, the right letters behind my name, they see me as a real person. And, um, and so I think, I think some of the, and it took, by the way, several iterations of the book before we, I became this transparent um, because it was a, a big risk, you know, I, I thought to be that transparent. I'm not knowing how, um, how people would respond, especially you know people in the pews as well as other church leaders, how they would would it resonate with them or would it scare people off? And but 
uh, from the get-go, the first chapter just lays it on out there, and um, readers say, "Man, I these are you know I've had so many people come up or write to me and say I, I just connected to you know to what you're saying even about suicidality and and um, they said you know it's like it's like I'd read their story and so it, it's just it's good for people to realize they're not alone that they're not. Um, they're not the only one out there that is is dealing with some of these, uh, you know, these um, feelings and um, uh, some of the pain and suffering that comes with mental health issues. But um, but again, to know that that there is a um, that there are uh, brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that that have you know that do struggle with these issues, but are fighting through it and are um, doing their best to to remain um, remain faithful to the Lord and recognizing God's presence you know, even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death that, that our, our God is is there and he, he's not not abandoning us but uh, sustaining us um, in the midst of the the pain and the suffering this podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health at the center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. Obviously, I alluded to earlier that, um, you know, there's a, a think somewhere along the lines of 7% of the American population um, struggle with depression, which means there's an even greater percentage of people that are connected to someone who struggles with depression. Yet, mm-hmm. um, kind of understanding the language around depression for some is just, um, it's not part of their uh, sphere of influence. In the book, you compared depression to um, drowning in a sea of despair. I wonder if you would walk us through what many are experiencing so that those who are not experiencing it can elevate their level of understanding and empathy. Sure. Um, Andy, I, I talk about different shades of the blue, you know, so depression means different things to different people. So sometimes we use that term kind of loosely, you know, and somebody's having a, you know, maybe a down day and they say, well, I'm depressed. Well, you know, there's, there's kind of that, popular level understanding of it versus the, the more clinical level. So when I speak about shades of the blue, I'm speaking about um, kind of the spectrum that depression uh, comes comes in these different shades. So it might, on the more mild side, it's, you know, it might be more episodic or situational and um, not, a, not a permanent malady. Um, so, you, you know, we've got kind of that that level, and just your run-of-the-mill feeling blue, feeling down for a, a period. 
then it moves up into what's called dysthymia. Dysthymia is also a, a milder level, but it it hangs on for months or even years at a time. So you've got kind of got this low grade melancholia, but it it's there. Um, it, and it it's often not medicated. It's manageable, but it's still still tough, you know, to to uh, live with. And moving on up again, the scale uh, we we might have seasonal affective disorder depending on it's more seasonal depending on the the sun being out or not um and then uh, major depressive disorder um and bipolar uh, disorder kind of uh, more on the the top end and then of course uh, leading in, into suicidal ideation and so depending on where people are i, I think and the question i get often is uh, well, how do I know if I'm really clinically depressed or if somebody's clinically depressed? The answer to that, um, I think, and I don't want to trivialize it or oversimplify it, but but the answer to that um, hinges on their ability to function from day to day. Um, are they able to get out of bed? Are they able to go to work? Are they able to uh, take a shower, um, take care of hygienic needs? take care of their family. And so the more uh, we see uh, functionality being impaired um, just from day in and day out uh, functioning, there's a correspondence to the, to the degree of the, the depression and depression on the more severe side, it, you know, it's, it's neurochemical. So that's, we need to understand that, but it, ha- it definitely has physiological issues. So um, it can exacerbate physical pain. Um, people, they don't only feel that emotion, but they literally feel it physically. Um, it can be uh, difficult to, um, you know, go to sleep or on the one hand or on the other hand, there's, there's uh, people that just find themselves in bed all the time. They, they just have absolutely, they feel like they've got absolutely zero energy. And so, I break it up, you know, at a more simple level. I talk about four different shades of the blue. The first is actually not blue, but we call it a, a sunshine yellow day. That's a, a day that things are, are going pretty well, you know, and um, uh, the the sufferer is even able to be um, creative and uh, maybe do, you know, do some extra things for his or her family feels like they're functioning as, as good as it gets and then moves into what we'd call sky blue sky blue day is a manageable day um it's a it's a good day um but uh depression you know one can still feel depression lurking uh, in the shadows close by the next type of, of level i call it a violet blue violet blue is when your body starts aching when you find yourself um, struggling to to get the the chores of the day done, the responsibilities, but still just kind of gutting your way through it and and managing as best as you can. So, and then finally, uh, my wife came up with this term, dark indigo. A dark indigo day is a day that feels like an impossible day. Um, unlike violet blue, that's a hard day. Uh, an impossible day is a day where you you know hope is is just um, Totally absent, it feels like, and God, it seems like God's a million miles away, and maybe it feels like God's punishing you, you know, for some hidden sin or 
that uh, there's just no way out of this this uh, maze that that uh, we find ourselves in, and so this labyrinth. And so um, people that that suffer with depression will kind of cycle through some of these different uh, feelings and and phys- physical and emotional uh, sensations and perspectives and um, depression in the true sense of the word, it can truly, it can dis- distort our, our vision and can uh, erode away at our, our spirituality um, because of, of the feeling of being abandoned or um, even punished um, by God um, through this. And of course, that's not true, but it, it feels that way. Like when Jesus was on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he's quoting David from Psalm 22, um, Jesus, a man that was acquainted with grief and and, and sorrow, um, Isaiah 53. You know, so we know that our Lord, our Lord connected with this and connects with with those that are going through the um, through the depths of, of despair at times with their their um, mental health. You know, you're a, a clinical pastoral therapist, and I can imagine people have said some ridiculous things to you about depression and mental health. Um, it, it can be said that religion has not handled mental health issues well. Um, in fact, you yeah. know, you often hear people, well-intended people will say things like, just pray, believe, and it'll, it'll work itself out. Um, uh-huh. you know, the, the Bible touches on depression. You know, if you've never read the book of Job, specifically Job's wife, then you need to take a, a closer look. Um, for some, uh, for you, you know, what are some of the, uh, the other areas of the Bible that touch on depression and, and what is the message that we can gather from the Bible about it? Mm, that's a great question. You know, yeah, no, I love, uh, you know, looking at Job and, and his, uh, struggles. I think one of the texts that I take people to a lot is, is the 42nd Psalm and uh, Psalm 42 is a lament Psalm. And it's uh, it's not this one's actually not by David. It's by one of the, the sons of Korah. But we're familiar with it. It says it starts out, you know, really positive, and we, we normally just kind of camp out in the positive, but we forget that there's a lot more to the psalm. So it starts out as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So that's that's great. Those are the first two verses, and then we kind of stop there, but. But you read on in verse three, it says, my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And so the, the psalmist is he's thinking back to better days, but he's not in those good days right now. He's thinking back to days even leading you know in in worship and now he is is struggling emotionally in verse five he says why are you cast down O my soul and why are you in turmoil within me hope in god for i shall again praise him my salvation and my god he goes on talking about you know just his experience with um whatever degree of depression or grief this this is, and he ends the psalm in verse 11 again, asking why you cast down on my soul, and um, why are you in turmoil within me? I hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so verses like that, um, you know, 
other uh, examples, when we think about Hannah, for example, with her struggle with infertility, uh, Moses at time, you know, just wanting God to take him out. You know, Elijah struggling with suicidality. We see the Apostle Paul uh, dealing with severe anxiety of over the the churches, and you know, uh, as he was he was worried about uh, about them. Uh, again, we see see Jesus himself uh, with sweat drops as blood in the Garden of Gethsemane because of the duress that, that he's under. And um, so, you know, so many verses like that give us the, I think, examples again of, of men and women who, who struggle with it. But then along with those, we see, see reminders uh, at the end of Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Um, you know, and that includes the deepest, darkest depression. It still can't separate us from the love of God. God's, someone said that God's not going to love us any more or any less than he does today. You know, no matter what we do, he's still, his love is, is constant. Um, uh, again, back in, in the Psalm, Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So, um, it, Verses like that are pervasive in, in Scripture, but often overlooked or downplayed. And maybe because we like to focus on the more positive, uplifting uh, types of, of verses, but those are a lot more real and touch on the on the human condition in a, a far more transparent way. So um, it, it's always good to to take. Um, sufferers, you know, to, to God's word and, and see, see these examples and see these, these messages of hope, how Jesus said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Um, you know, so I, I try to um, try to uh, use God's word as, as a resource. Um, again, that depends on the willingness of the person. Are they willing to, to hear a word, you know, from, from the Lord? We certainly can't, can force it on them, but but it's there, and it's it's um, very helpful and encouraging if we will be open to it. Why do you think the church has struggled with its ability to broaden its understanding and capability to care for and removal of the stigma around mental health? Mm. That's a little hard to answer. It depends, I think, on the, the theology that... Uh, individuals have maybe their their view on grace and mercy uh for one thing but um i, I think another um, militating factor has been a misunderstanding on the abundant life <laughs> jesus says in john 10 10 that he came to bring life and, and bring it to the full give it to the full give the abundant life more abundantly so a misunderstanding of that verse would be that the abundant life is a life free of pain, free of suffering, um, a life that is is always positive, always up, always joyful, you know. And um, so, you know, if we we look at if we define a victorious life or an abundant life, or again Romans eight being more than a conqueror as a life free of pain and suffering. Um, and we hear that in church on Sunday, whatever day we're, we're worshiping. Um, 
as a continual theme, I think people become a little gun shy and afraid to, to really be transparent about what they are actually experiencing. And so we have that, you know, kind of the Facebook friendly um, expression of our life and the life is all, it's great. And we just went to this, this retreat or we've been on vacation or you know, everything is, is great. But the reality is there's a different story often behind those airbrushed pictures, the photographs that um, uh, because uh, I think of a, a fear of, of um, being judged or being criticized or being misunderstood and often for good reason. Uh, uh, you know, like you said a moment ago, um, people have asked for help from church leaders in the past and the response has been, well, you need to pray more or you just need to have more faith or are you sure there's not some sin that's that's behind this and um, that shuts people down rather than allowing them to feel safe you know in in um, sharing what the, what they are actually experiencing in their life personally and interpersonally so um, I think those are some of the reasons for the um, the the issues and and also maybe just a uh, an unwillingness to take a look at examples you know of of uh, people even like the the great reformer Martin Luther who struggled with dark nights of the soul and um, others you know that have uh, been incredible preachers you know that have also been transparent about their their uh, challenges so. Maybe it's, uh, you know, if we bury our, our head in the sand and pretend that the issue's not there, it will just go away. Well, it's not going away. It's just becoming worse. I think any pastor who tells somebody they should just have more faith should get a, a punch in the throat, but that's just me. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, it's uh, it's unbelievable the, uh, the lack of empathy and understanding that people have. Um, you you wrote the church is uh, Jesus' divinely foreordained solution to our problems of loneliness, as well as mm-hmm. our human need for ongoing accountability in our faith. I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper there. Yes, yeah, the church. You know the 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 primary metaphor for the church is the family or a, a, the household of God, and um. I think it's metaphorical and it's also real. You know, Jesus articulated that. You know, who are my brother and my sisters and my mother? You know, it was people around him, not not flesh and blood. You know, necessarily. So, um, the church, uh, as my old protege uh, or uh, mentor rather, um, Howard Stone, uh, he would say that the church is a uh, it's a community of of caring. It's supposed to be a community of care, you know, and um, when we, we lose sight of, of the biblical mandate from, you know, Galatians 6 to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, we have lost our way. <laughs> we have forgotten what the purpose is, you know, for the church to encourage and help and edify, as well as on the other side of that, provide accountability, uh, you know. Uh, to each other and, and while providing a supportive environment. And um, Paul said, we you know, rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep uh, within the church. And that, that should be our, our mindset. And uh, I think, you know, 
many of the listeners to this podcast probably perhaps have heard the analogy that church is a the church is a, a hospital. You know, it's for sin, sick, care-worn souls, where we come for healing uh, and for edification of being built up. You know, rather than coming to to be destroyed emotionally and and um, to add insult to injury that's already there. And so um, Jesus said that um, the world would know his disciples not by their doctrine, but, I, and I, you know, I, I believe doctrine is important, of course, but he would know the disciples by their love for one another. And um, that's got to be the, the demarcation of, of the family of God as we walk together in, in solidarity in the, the shadow of the cross, the, I call the cross God's calling card. You know, it says if you forget about what, who God is about, just look at the cross. And that's um, with its outspread arms, um, showing the love and the, the compassion, the grace of, of God for for all men and women. And, uh, um, and then particularly you know, for those that are of the household of faith. As we've touched on, the church has not excelled oftentimes in its understanding and care for people facing mental health struggles. So for our local church pastors who are listening, what are what are some steps they can take uh, to change that narrative? How can churches elevate their understanding and capability to care for people facing mental health struggles? That's a great question. Um, and I appreciate you asking that, Andy. I, I believe that... Um, we have very, you know, a lot of very sensitive pastors out there that um, maybe struggle with with issues themselves, and I think their willingness from the pulpit to be a little bit more transparent about their own perhaps thorn in the in the flesh, because um, we we all we're all wounded healers in, in one way or another, as uh, Henry Nowen wrote, we're wounded healers, you know, and so. I think that transparency would would go a, a million miles in, in, in helping people in the pew, feeling like the, the one proclaiming God's word is also human and uh, has has struggles of maybe d- different types. But then on top of that, um, providing resources, um, being uh, being instigators of, of opening up resources to, to members of the, the congregation, whether it's a counseling ministry that that is uh, present within the church. And, uh, and that could even be a lay lay counseling type ministry where we're equipping uh, men and women for works of service, you know, within, within the, the church, whether it's a Stevens type ministry or, or just a um, support group uh, for uh, the bereaved or support group for those struggling with addiction or, or those dealing with depression or anxiety. Um, what a, what an amazing inreach to the church and a, amazing outreach to the community uh, those types of resources are so there's some things we can do within the church and then also linking to resources in the community and within the community of faith um having bible studies uh, you know maybe doing a quarter on uh, mental health struggles you know teaching preaching on on those topics um uh, perhaps doing a, a congregational assessment. Maybe it could even be um, anonymous for people um, in the in the pews, but putting out an assessment that 
that may be, uh, which shows some of the specific needs in that congregation and in a way pulling back the veil to see, you know, what the needs are so that the leadership of the church can can be more proactive and intentional in um, in loving their, their brothers and sisters in a, a way that I believe Christ uh, loves us. How do you see this book being a resource for local churches? Within uh, local churches, I've, and I'm still something I am kind of working on. Uh, I've kind of I've actually got it together, but a 13 week, um, 13 week uh, study, uh, kind of for support groups or Bible classes. So that works through through the book. I, I think um, even without that, though, folks could maybe do a uh, minister's Bible class. Teachers could use the book as a a good grounded uh, biblical resource for for teaching and for preaching. It's got 17 chapters in it. So in my teacher's edition that I'm that will be forthcoming, Lord willing, um, you know, kind of pared it down a bit. But um, so it provides that. Also, each chapter has what we call a blue task, and so a blue task is for a blue servant. So in other words. Um, it could be uh, things that we we challenge each other to uh, to better self care, for example, or to um, avenues of service. And uh, we've not really touched on this much, but at the heart and soul of the book, it has to do with the the concept of how serving others is such can be such a powerful antidote to depression because it shifts our focus. And it helps us walk in the footsteps of the suffering servant, you know, Jesus, who said that uh, Matthew twenty twenty eight. He said, "Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many." And so, um, just helping, you know, to to mobilize uh, members of of the church to to serve in a more effective, more compassionate way, whether or not they deal with depression. But if they do have uh, different, maybe uh, a shade of the blue that they are personally struggling with themselves or they have a family member that, that is, the book's intended to, to uh, mentor and, and mobilize uh, Christians to, to serve in a, an unparalleled way, not, not in spite of depression, but precisely because of it, um, uh, because I, Struggling with some of these issues has a way of sensitizing people to the needs of, of those around them and to to maybe some of the hidden pain that that others of us miss um, at times. Second uh, Corinthians one three to five talks about the the same comfort we receive that we uh, from the Lord that we pass that on to others. We share that with others, and so that that heightened sensitivity. So. So the book can be used to to raise awareness, um, and then also to to mentor and motivate and mobilize uh, Christians for more capable, effective service within the congregation, and then also um, to the community as it becomes an evangelistic outreach to say, hey, there there is hope. We do have a God that loves us, a God that that will see us through and is holding on to us, and is not going to let go of us. By the time this episode drops, the book will have been out for nearly five months. Uh, what kind of response are you getting from your readers? 
it's it's just been uh, just phenomenal seeing um, people contacting me. Um, grateful for the message of the book, but also sharing ways that it's challenging them to, um, um, again, be more transparent with their own struggle, but um, to take comfort to know that they're not alone and that um, they're able to to be faithful and they're able to um, be useful uh, to to God. Um, because so many of them have said, hey, we, we've gone through bouts, we felt worthless. You know, we felt um, nothing but a, a burden on our family, but but seeing um, through through the message of overcoming the blues that uh, that is indeed not the case and um, that that God can work through this, that God has a purpose um, for, for their lives and uh, a plan, as Jeremiah 29 talks about, uh, plans to to give them a hope and a, a future. And so it's been been awesome and encouraging seeing the, the response from uh, uh, readers, also listeners of various podcasts who've been, been privileged to, to be on. Um, uh, I've, I've certainly been encouraged by it. For those that want to stay connected with Ryan, you can visit ryannollfraser.com. You can also follow him on most social media platforms. Of course, go out and purchase Overcoming the Blues wherever books are sold. Uh, Dr. Frazier, thank you for inviting the church to broaden its understanding and capability to care for people facing mental health struggles. And thank you for your courage to use your story as a word of hope that many are not alone as they face these challenges. Andy, it's been an absolute joy. You've been a, a very gracious host. And- Thanks for uh, asking the types of questions that have elicited um, this type of conversation. I'm, I'm thankful for this opportunity, and I, I hope uh, want to wish you a, a happy new year and uh, all the, the listeners. And um, I hope that um, they will draw draw hope, knowing that uh, they have a God that is bigger than depression. And so, uh, thanks again. It's been great. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in return.